Anonymous Eskimo, episode 83. What's up? Welcome to the Anonymous Eskimo Podcast, where my guests share their stories about mental health, sobriety, recovery, and hope for people still struggling with mental health issues, alcohol, and drug addiction. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and click on the donate button. There, you have three different options to donate. First, you can donate directly through PayPal. Second, you can make a one-time donation through Buy Me a Coffee. And third, you can become a Patreon subscriber. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the store button, where you can get anonymous Eskimo merch. And while you're visiting my website... Please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Recording from Denina Land, I'm your host, Ralph Sara. On this episode, I have Tad Lindley. Tad is originally from Ohio, but he now resides in Bethel, Alaska, where he teaches high school. Tad has been sober for 40 years, and on this episode, Tad courageously shares his story for those still struggling. So guys, please help me welcome Tad Lindley. Hi, Tad. How are you? Doing great. Great Bethel today. The rain's coming down, but uh, nice and warm in the house. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling at myself because <laughs> this is like the third time we're trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, say something different every time. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the struggles of technology. It, it's great when it works, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. just to give people a, a kind of understanding what we're talking about, I was trying to record through clean feed, but as people know out in, in Bethel or even in Alaska, the uh, Wi-Fi could be spotty and we were having some technical difficulties. So I just said, hey, let's just try the phone. And you sound you sound good. You sound great. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, I was telling, I was asking you, I saw a post that you guys were blessed by a moose. Yeah, yeah, we um, had a great trip um, after we jumped over a bunch of beaver dams, got to a place we call Area 51, because we want to keep it secret, and uh, lo and behold, there there was a moose there, and 
it was it was pretty cool. My daughter and her fiance were with me, and um, just it's always always a wonderful experience when um, you have a, something like that and uh, give itself up to you. And you were saying you got a couple of them. You gave one away, and then you brought one to uh, to your smokehouse. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we gave one right away. Um, got passed out, and then um, brought the other the other one here, and and um, some of it went to Anchorage with them. And yeah, that's how it is here. People uh, share everything out pretty much. Yeah, I think that, that's key key to being successful later on in life. Oh, definitely, man. You have to you have to give back, you know. Yeah. So I saw your 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 Facebook post, and that's how I I, I find out about a lot of people online that I ask to be on my podcast. You said you've been sober for forty years. Yeah, forty continuous years. It's uh, just a complete miracle. Um, Obviously, for those people who know how old I am, I had to quit drinking really young. But I I went to treatment twice when I was 13. And then I went again when I was 14 to a long-term facility. And um, when I was 13, I've been sober since uh, shortly after I got out of that treatment center, but my behavior was still wild. So I went to a long-term facility, but, um, what a blessing. I I feel like the Lord just added decades onto my life that I would not have had had I continued on the path I was on. Man, I, you know, there's people that, you know, and I know you through, you know, being Bethel and, of course, Facebook and social media. And I had no idea. It's just amazing how people are starting to, you know, be able to come out and talk about that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I applaud your 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 post and, and letting people know that, you know, hey, I went through it. So thank you for being on here and sharing yeah, for sure. I remember my first uh, my first year teaching here in Bethel. Like, I talked to kids about it at the end of the school year after I felt like you know I had, they were all bought in. And um, now I, if I'm working with kids, I'll tell them right away because I know there's um, kids that uh, that have been through the same thing or you know currently struggling with addiction. And I need to, I want them to know right away that um, when they see me, they don't see who I used to be. And so they would have no idea what I've been through. And, um, and now I, I'm, I'm very comfortable letting people know right away because it could save somebody's life. And I had one, one student who, um, from early on in my teaching career, he came back after graduation and he told me, that um, because of me talking to them, he made that decision to um, not use drugs or alcohol all the way through high school. And, and I felt like, uh, wow, what a powerful, what powerful feedback. Man, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. That 
just that right there, even with just one person is the whole reason I'm doing this is just, you know, sending hope out there. If one person can make a change or find some hope from what, what others are sharing, you know, and all the people that come on here are so courageous because it's a tough thing to do to, you know, come out and say, Hey, I used to be um, either addicted to drugs or use alcohol, you know, to the point of, you know, self-destruction and look where I am now. I'm not drinking anymore and makes people feel like they're not alone, you know? Yeah. Roger that. Yeah. I know when, when I went to treatment, hearing people talk about, um, how they, their feelings and that kind of thing, it was, uh, uh, because I was a really private person and didn't even talk with my parents about my feelings. I was, it was such a relief to know that other people were experiencing the exact same things that I was. And, um, it, I like, I never perceived myself as having a drinking problem. I perceived myself as having a sobriety problem. Like I couldn't feel comfortable unless I was, found some way to medicate and um of course when you're underage like that it's you have to be resourceful and um and, and you know whatever presents itself as an opportunity to medicate whether it's glue or inhalants or marijuana or um mouthwash uh whatever's there but i had a sobriety problem in my mind like I just couldn't stand being sober. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Before we start getting into it, can you go ahead and just tell everybody who you are and introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah, my name's Tad Lindley. I'm uh, originally from Ohio. I went to uh, Fairbanks. I went to UAF in um, 1988, and then I ended up out here. I taught school in Kipnuk for a year, and in that first year with the school district, I met my wife, and um, she's originally from Nunapachuk, and her um, her dad is uh, the late Mike Chase, and her mom was the late Eliza Chase, and um, I ended up in Bethel because she... Um, she didn't want to move to the coast, and I figured that was fair enough. And they had a job at the high school. And I don't know if you were there for my job interview, Ralph, or not. Like, it was the group of kids that graduated the year before I started. They just put a class of seniors together at the end of the year and had me teach a fake lesson to them. And um, <clears throat> it might have been a year, after, two, a year after you graduated. But, that, but I ended up in Bethel. and. Um, and I, I used to say, like, on the state job applications, and you stop me if I'm talking too much, but on the state job applications before Internet, they used to have, like, every hub community, like Dillingham, Bethel, Petersburg, Juneau, Barrow, every hub community, but not the villages. And you would check the places you were willing to work. And every year when I did my fishing game um, job, fish tech job application, I would check every place in the state except for Bethel because uh, <laughs> Bethel, because as you know, it gets, you know, people from outside come and they give it bad press. 
And so I, even when I interviewed with Gary Baldwin to work for the school district, I told him I'll teach anywhere, but not Bethel. And they had a job in Bethel, <laughs> but it went to somebody, went to somebody else. Uh, but, but uh, God was watching all of that. And, and I ended up here and I absolutely love it. Um, I never, once I started teaching at BRHS, never looked back. Um, I missed Kipnuk. The people there were wonderful, but um, I've uh, I've really settled in here. I've been in Bethel uh, 20, 28 years, maybe. Wow, man, that's an awesome story. Yeah. Um, what what year was it again that you started in Bethel? Man, it's, <laughs> you know I should I should know like stuff like that. Um, it would have been a top for 27 years. I re- retired for a year and now I'm back. So 28 years ago, 29 in August, I think would be uh, 90, August of 93 is when I started with the school district, I think. Oh, man. Maybe 94. That's when I graduated. So, yeah, I, I don't remember that interview. That's so awesome that they did that. <sighs> yeah 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 oh my gosh yeah people give bethel a bad rap a lot of people say you know that it's a not a good place to to grow up or whatever but man i had the best you know childhood um just the good things that happened were just so good being able to get on your snow machine or your boat or whatever, just right outside your door and then go and do subsistence yeah. lifestyle and going out on the, on the tundra, you know, on the river, just anything. It was, it was uh-uh. so good. You know, of course there was the hard times though. There is hard times in Bethel too, though, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 So um, can you let everybody know, you know, what things looked like before you got sober? Yeah, I was um, just really broken inside. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, just in a lot of personal pain, feeling like uh, like I was a loser in, in, in all areas. And I know, looking back, I know I wasn't, but, um, but I was firmly convinced of it. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was 10, and that's kind of what pushed me off the deep end there. And um, coupled with, uh, I grew up around kids that um, went to a religious school in the neighborhood. And so a lot of what I understood about spirituality was from them. And so they had, you know, they were would always say, the nuns said that uh, if you do this, you'll go to hell. And if you do that, you'll go to hell and we can't do this because we'll go to hell. And so from a spiritual standpoint, I felt like I'm already condemned. And so what's, what's the point in even trying? And when I came to that, I guess, I guess you could call it a dark epiphany. Um, I kind of felt like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to do what feels, feels good to me. Um, cause I'm lost anyway, and so uh, I um, really just set off on a path of 
uh, self-destruction. And if it wasn't for getting interrupted by going to treatment and um, being real active in AA afterwards, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't even know my name. Probably mm-hmm. a few people would, and I'd be on a, be, uh, in the grave a long time ago. Hmm, man. What part of Ohio were you in? Originally from, from Cleveland Heights and um, graduated there. And put, Cleveland Metropolitan's like a million people. And uh, I was really into, after I sobered up and, and maybe before I, uh, before I went through my dark years, I was really into the outdoors. So I, which I, I um, spent as much time as I could as you can in a city of a million people. <laughs> yeah, I spent a couple of years in Akron. My, okay, yeah. My uh, my fiance, her parents live in uh, Akron, Ohio. And it was one of the times where I needed to or what, where I thought I needed to make a change was just because I was drinking too much, and they call it a, a geographical. Is where, right. where, where, <laughs> where you think, oh, man, if I just move somewhere else and, you know, everything will, yeah. everything will fix itself. It'll, I'll start over again, you know? And right, yeah. Man, that was not the case at all. Uh, it it uh, just... It was just the same thing over again, getting into trouble with the law and just drinking and not being uh-huh. able to hold a job, you know. And it was one of my burdens for for her and her family again. You know, I always was not taking responsibility of what, how I was living, you know. I needed somebody to take care of me and nobody wanted to do it anymore. So, you know... I had to do that in my mind, and I thought I would be, you know, making a good change, which is which is never the case, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it's too bad you aren't sober because that's the birthplace of AA. I know. You know, when I was yeah. uh, when I was down there, I tried to do because I always wanted to be sober. You know, I tried uh-huh. to go to. I went to AA meetings down there and I met um, a really good friend, a really good guy. I went to my first AA meeting. I was so drunk from a bar. It was just right down the street from the AA, from the church they were having the AA meeting at. And, Uh you know, I was, I was a drunk. I was being a drunk there. And this guy was like, he pulled me aside and he took me out and he was like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> I know how, what you, what you're going through and everything, and we want to help you. I want to help you, you know. But you are you're kind of disturbing and stuff like that or whatnot, you know, just being drunk. And uh-huh, yeah, he was so he was so gracious and and you know, um, he took my number and and he called me the next day and followed through and he's been a friend ever since he comes up here because his um his daughter lives up here so i get to see him like once a year we have dinner wow awesome wow yeah. that's great yeah but um yeah birthplace of aa they have the they have um um the house dr bob's house there too cool wow. yeah but yeah that's me 
Let, let's get back to you. So okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we, right. we get on this, ta- I get on these tangents here, but, um, um, when you were starting to get sober, like what, what inspired you to get sober? Well, I went to, um, treatment. My mom, uh, my mom had me, uh, she called the police to, uh, bring me down there cause I didn't, I wasn't having any of it. So they took me down to, uh, a locked unit and, um, at Women's General Hospital, it doesn't exist anymore, but they had an adolescent chemical dependency unit. So that was the first time I, you know, I heard people talking about uh, what was going on in their lives. And it was so, um, so relieving to know that other people were experiencing what I was. And to have, I remember some guys came in that were 90 days sober and uh, of course, that was not a goal of mine at that point in my life. But I thought, wow, uh, you know, maybe if they could do something like that, I could too. So I started praying while I was there, asking God to help me stay sober. And then when I, I got out, I I, um, I, I relapsed once. I, I smoked hash shortly after I got out. And then, and I've been sober since then. But I started going to meetings and they used to they used to say, um, probably still do in Cleveland Heights, 90 meetings in 90 days. And uh, people were real strong on that. And I don't know if I, I didn't count, but I probably did close to that. And I know for the first five years sober, I probably went to at least five meetings a week. My home group in Cleveland was a Doan men's group. And then um, when I moved to Fairbanks, my home group was a men's meeting at the Catholic church in Fairbanks. And so it really it carried me and, and, uh, I got to meeting, I guess I, be, I believed in it and I knew that I needed it. And so I fully invested my evenings into going to AA meetings as a, as a teenager. It saved my life. I guess it, it helped, um, maybe build a passion in me for helping people. And, I remember probably in the early 90s thinking about like where I would be in the year 2000. And I wasn't used to hearing from God, but I felt like the Lord impressed on me. In the year 2000, you'll be sober, but you won't be an AA. And I thought, um, wait, how can that, that happen? That's not possible. Then in 1988, I ended up really just hungry for God like I hadn't been and seeking God and um, I ended up getting into church I got baptized in Jesus name I got the Holy Ghost which I guess was um, you know in the big book we you read about Bill Wilson's spiritual experience I don't know if that's what happened to him but it's what I imagined and um, at that point I was living in Bethel and I really in the church like it was full of people who were had overcome addiction and um and so my experience in God was uh, so great that I kept wanting to talk about it at meetings and and one of the old timers here in Bethel pulled me aside and said, Hey pal, uh they probably don't want to hear about that here. 
And so at that point, I really just jumped into church with both feet. And, you know, the 12 step talks about continuing to help other people. Shortly after that, I started uh, jail ministry at the Tundra Center. I, re- I haven't been to a meeting in, in quite a long time. Last time I went to a meeting was in Anchorage with a relative, but I continue to be really active in helping, working with people who are struggling. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's um, a common thing that happens because that happened to me. I was so, when I got out of treatment this last time, because I, you know, I went to treatment before, but I, I was totally, like I said before, gung-ho, you know, AA, you know, and I, you know, I had a sponsor and I was doing the steps and everything. And, and AA is so good, you know, and it helps so many people, but there's some things in it that, you know, I was kind of straying from like the part where you don't, you know, uh, it's attraction rather than promotion, you know? Um, uh-huh. and, and for what I think is, you know, if we have people talking about it more and, and telling other people the way that they did it, you know, there's so many different other ways, you know, to, to achieve sobriety and recovery, um, that maybe they could, share their way of doing it and how they do it themselves and other people can get ideas and, and do it differently for themselves. I don't know, but a lot of the time AA is the beginning part of their journey, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I could, I wouldn't be alive without AA. I'm tremendously grateful. And some of those foundational things in my life, like I read, three pages out of the big book every night before I went to bed and having a prayer life and the discipline of going to meetings. Like most weeks we only have church uh, four times a week. So <clears throat> that's like, okay, that's less than what I was doing at AA uh, and, and reading the Bible. It's just, those things were already, those habits were already kind of pre-built into my life in that, um, that sense of like I've been saved from destruction and I have a debt to pass this on to other people. Those things are completely translatable to um, how I live now. So uh, it's, it's been wonderful. And I, I did, but for many years I thought you couldn't be sober and happy and not be attending meetings and, and if, if, you know, if anybody's like, if you're, if anybody's listening and you're just, and you're sober, you're newly sober, please don't take that as uh, a license to walk away from the program. Uh, I'm, I'm just sharing my experience. I was sober 16 years and I just, I ran into problems that like I'd go to meetings here in Bethel. I tried talking about my problems and I just felt like they were too big. Uh, like I wasn't getting what I needed. So I sought help uh, with a pastor and really started seeking to know what the Bible says all the way through. So I'm I, I'm extremely active in service and spiritual things. So um, for anybody new in the program, please 
uh, unless God's really called you, don't walk away from the program so you have a very firm foundation. Yeah, and, and and we are by no means trying to steer you away from AA. Um, it, we're just sharing our you know experience, and and we both just said that AA was huge, a huge part in our sobriety and our recovery. And you know, I just found my other way, and my other way is doing this podcast. And 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 if you think about it, it's it's like an AA meeting where they share, you right. know, like a share um, a speaker, you know, coming on. Yeah. And yeah. But I'm not. I'm not. Um, putting any boundaries to it, you know, I'll have somebody on here that's, you know, just thinking about getting sober or, you know, just a, a few months sober, just so other people who might be in the same situation could say, okay, I'm not alone, you know, and then I'm having you who has 40 years, oh my gosh, of sobriety. That's just amazing to me. It blows my mind, you know? Yeah. I remember they used to say, uh, go to meetings and don't drink in between meetings and you'll become an old timer someday. Yeah. <laughs> here I am, I guess a young old timer, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, when I was, when I was a kid going to meetings, a lot of those guys with 40 plus years, they lived through prohibition and where bootlegging was like all over the United States. And, um, those guys, some of those guys remembered like before they had the big book and they, they would say that they would have the Bible at meetings and it was treasure. And I, they remember there was a meeting in Cleveland, the Borton group who um, claimed to be the oldest, longest continuous AA meeting on the planet. And then there was one in Akron, I think the King school group maybe, but, they also laid to that same claim. So it depended which town you lived in, which, which one you believed was the longest. But, uh, boy, what a great... And Cleveland was uh, primarily speaker meetings. And when I went to Fairbanks, and that it was mostly uh, a lot more discussion groups. And then, of course, here in Bethel, that's all that uh, we had when I first moved here was discussion groups. And... Um, I really enjoy hearing somebody's life story. It's so uh, it can be so edifying, and it's a great thing that you're doing this podcast and you're getting voices out. Like I saw, I see that you interviewed my sister-in-law, and I, <laughs> that was so cool because I had no idea, you know. So you're doing a great, great work here. Who's your sister-in-law? Saima. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's uh, she's another one that was like, oh my god, I had no idea. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so cool that people are using social media to you know just 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 let everybody know that you know they're they've been through it and they're living a good life. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. Hey, you know you you mention um your church a lot. Can you tell like listeners about how that plays into your sobriety? I know you, uh, you touched on it and can you tell us more? Sure. Yeah. I'm uh, actually became a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal church. And, um, you know, the first time I went to, I don't know if listeners have been to Pentecostal church or not, 
but the first time I went, I thought, wow, this is crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I came for the cultural exposure, but I'm never coming back again. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, there was something about it. Like I remember thinking, man, I wish I had the passion that that guy that was preaching had and actually pray to God to let me have what that, what the evangelist had. Let me have that as a teacher. And I got more, you know, when we pray, sometimes God answers beyond what we expected. And so I think I did. I ended up being, I think, really successful as a teacher. But um, I also ended up, you know, having the Holy Ghost experience. And um, just like in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, I, um, I, I made a commitment to myself. As I mentioned, I was having struggles to read the Bible through in a year because I, I wanted to be able to, I didn't think I'd be saved, but I thought I want to stand before God and be able to tell him, you know, at the judgment that, Hey, I read the book and I tried everything in it. Well, in the course of that year, I ended up studying, seeing about getting baptized and I got baptized in Jesus name. And, reading about receiving the Holy Ghost, and um, I prayed and fasted, and I had that experience that was just transformative in my life. And um, I really, you know, when you experience something great, you want other people to know about it. And there was a a guy from um, Akichuk who since passed away coming to church, and I got in home Bible study with him and his wife. Um, teaching them Bible study, he ended up breaking his parole or probation, so he had to remand, and he was in Thunder Center, and so I was continuing Bible study with him there, and I just started uh, started bringing, we started pulling other guys in, bringing songbooks, and just having pop-up church every week at Thunder Center, and I met a huge, huge uh, number of men from in the region through that because um, probably I would guess at least half of us, myself included, out here have been arrested and spent some time in jail. And and um, COVID kind of shut that down, but what a wonderful experience to uh, come and, and share the hope of, of life without alcohol with uh with men and sometimes we get women in church there too. But, um, so, you know, you, I, I hear people talking about being called to preach. I, I don't, couldn't say a point where God impressed on me. I was called to preach, but I feel like I'm called to serve. And if nobody else is going to fill that need, then I want it, I want it to be filled. And, um, and so I ended up, preaching, teaching Sunday school, teaching home Bible studies, because, you know, the big book says, be quick to see where religious people are right. So that helped me have an open mind. And as I mentioned before, not everybody in in the church here, but lots of us have come out of addiction and through the power of prayer have uh, come into a great way of life. Man, that's amazing. A funny thing I wanted to tell you, you know, the Tundra Center you mentioned, um, I uh, used I used to work there a long time ago, and then I went back okay. as a as a inmate. 
<laughs> oh, so you know. Good thing you were nice to everybody when you weren't there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yep. And oh my gosh, um, it, it's very, very humbling, you know. <laughs> and you're right. right. Yeah. You're right about you know when you are incarcerated and you have nothing to do in there, and you know you have all this time to read and i think i think one of the times i was one of the many times i was incarcerated you know i read the bible in there for the first time and you know all you have is time in there and time to reflect and that's a lot of for a lot of people that's the places where their their thinking is changed you know right yeah absolutely yeah i've seen if people people will they try to tear down the jailhouse conversion, but I, I think it's real. I think people do experience God. I think the, one of the downfalls is getting out and hopping back into the old life or thinking, you know, I've been I've been out of commission. I got to work and, and take two jobs and not feed their spiritual side and then end up repeating the pattern. But um, it's real, and I think when God speaks to us, wherever it is, it's real. Yeah, amazing. Um, in Bethel, they try to do they 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 try to open liquor stores, but it didn't work, right? Or or people were not really happy about it. Or what's the story about that? Based on the course, it went to a, a boat and. Um, I'd assume not have it here, but enough people voted in favor of it that we did have we did have liquor sales again for for I think a couple of years. But I think a lot of people that voted for it saw how awful it was. There was uh, it seemed like at least once a week somebody was dying going back home to uh, from Bethel, and I, I probably didn't impact this residence of Bethel as much, but it really impacted like people drinking beer in the villages. That kind of thing never happened before. Um, just cause a beer is inconvenient to bootleg. But, um, yeah, it was, it was sad. The downtown strip, like the Lomac beach, just people just passed out in the summertime, just laying around drinking. And then all the death, that um and it was people for people in Bethel alcohol has always been fairly easy to get I think but uh liquor store or no it's just a, an order to anchorage away but um I think it really hurt the surrounding villages quite a bit yeah and it, is it true that the houseless population rose as well yeah there were people who uh People here, yeah, people who came in and got stranded or just came in for, you know, like we see in San Francisco and these big cities, uh, when when you're in addiction, oddly enough, that um, street homeless lifestyle can be appealing because you can stay hooked up all the time. And I think we saw a growth in that kind of thing. And um, it was, it's just hard on communities. I guess Anchorage, it too, has had a big 
growth in that. So I don't know if that could be tied to the liquor store, but certainly Leif Albertson did some actual uh, statistical analysis of police arrest data. It was extremely compelling, showing that um, the liquor store really taxed city services, put a huge burden on our first responders. Man, Bethel still has a place where you can go and drink, though. Right. There's a bar slash restaurant, which um, appears to do a pretty very brisk business because the parking lot's uh, overflowing many nights. So, yeah, I don't know how. I think it's an expensive place to drink. Uh, and, of course, I don't go there. But So, yeah, I can't, I can't speak to it, but I know it's pretty popular based on that, based on my statistical analysis of the cars parked there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, um, like you said, the alcohol is, you know, tied in with the different things that are happening that, that rose, I guess you could say, but alcohol was, you know, like you said, available anywhere. I mean, I bought it for 40 bucks a jug there, you know, yeah, and that didn't right. stop me the high price. So, you know, if somebody's going to drink, I think they're going to do anything, you know, just like drugs, just like drugs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And for, the uh, I guess the downside of liquor store was for those of us who would would um, drink until all of our resources were gone and we ran out of money. Having cheap liquor here just just um, prolongs that binge period. Yeah, and that was my story, man. I would I would drink until I would get paid, and then I would drink and then binge and lose my job, and then I wouldn't have any money. I'd be on a bender for I don't know how many days, you know. Uh-huh. And that's and that's sadly a, a lot of people's story. And I was just like a, a broken record doing it over and over yeah. again, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that um, Bethel has a a person like you in there that that's advocating for you know the change and um, showing people that there is a way that people can live a better life. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Is your church uh, the one across from AC? Yeah, it's the old brass buckle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Went from a, a place uh, of sin to a place of worship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's still still some dancing going on, but a uh, different spirit behind it. <laughs> That is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah, if, you, if you're ever here, we have, there's some pictures on the wall when the, when it was, it had a wall of mirrors and stuff, and and then uh, got we uh, re, got remodeled. It was shortly before I got into church, but got remodeled, and now um, there's no indication of what it used to be. Yeah, I remember that. I remember going to the Brass Buckle and yeah, that the parking lot it was crazy. It was it was just like everybody went there and stood outside and there'd be fights. Dude, I remember uh-huh. there was there was a there was a like a thing where the somebody saw a, a like a female 
person that that nobody knew that somebody saw their like horns or some or tail or something going to the bathroom. I remember that was a oh. story there. Wow. Huh. Yeah. 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 No, no doubt some dark things happened in that building. Yeah. So how are you living your life now? How is sobriety? What does sobriety look like now? Um, well, I have that, I have the, I get up every morning and I read my Bible for, I read five chapters and then I pray in the morning before I, before I have breakfast or go to work. And because I, I firmly believe that I'm my own worst enemy and that I can't trust myself. And so, and some people might hear me say that and think, um, well, then it's not working for you. But I've just seen too many people relapse who started trusting in their own best thinking. And so, and, you know, people might be listening to and think, oh, um, Ted got into church and he got brainwashed. But the bottom line is my brain needed washing. <laughs> and so, I'm, uh, so I try to try to keep an active life of prayer and study and in fellowship. We have, we have a men's also have a men's um, men's meeting weekly men's meeting that um, is is based on uh, we, we usually will work off of a scripture in the Bible, but most of those men are uh, in recovery. And um, we started that as a support group. I go to church. Uh, we have Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday night in uh, Guishnook. And so um, I stay real busy with that. And and I, I don't, uh, like when I go to Anchorage, I don't go to the Brass Buckle to see who's there. Um, I don't hang out in slippery situations. You know, not to say that I won't go to anybody's house to have Bible study or to reach out to them, but I also I, I respect the fact that, um, however you want to look at it, sin is deceptively powerful, or just the disease of alcoholism is deceptively powerful. And yes, I've been sober for a long time, but I also know that if I pick up where I left off, I'm picking up where I left off and it goes downhill quickly. Mm. So I still, I'm still, you know, fully convinced that, that, um, like my thinking, you know, is God's delivered me, but, uh, that doesn't mean I can have a drink or smoke a bowl and go back to life as normal. Cause, uh, those things are, they'll, they'll take me right back to where I was. So I believe in, in, you know, there's no halfway on sobriety for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, unfortunately my wife doesn't drink. And so she's been, that's been a great arrangement. And so we don't have it and we don't typically, I mean, I'll go to a restaurant that has a bar, but, uh, I, I don't think I'd ever go to a bar except under extremely unusual circumstances. But so I don't know if that's where you're getting at yeah. that question. But yeah, I mean, like 
I mean, we could be healed from cancer and other things, but I, I fully uh, believe that, um, like, there's no, you know, once we've been down that path with drugs and alcohol, we can't learn to socially do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and when I have, you know, the temptation or a thought like that, like I was thinking coming home from church this afternoon, just how to, just to be transparent, I was thinking, man, a $3,200 dividend. If I wasn't an alcoholic, <laughs> I'd be tempted to just take one of our dividends and spend it all, yeah. <laughs> all on alcohol. <laughs> like, but who thinks that way except an alcoholic? Oh, my and gosh. Course, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you know, thinking, and I'll just taper it out and let it last for six months or something. But, but we know, you know, that... Uh, first thing is calling in sick to work <laughs> yep. Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and then uh, jobless and, and maybe um, maybe ending up in YKCC if I'm fortunate or maybe ending up uh, out at the cemetery. And so, uh, yeah, I, I thank God that uh, I've never gotten to I've never gotten to where I fully trust myself again. Um, I, tr- I got to trust in him. Man, you are absolutely right. That's the exact way I'm thinking too. Man, if I if I tried to, you know, think that I was had it and I can do that, I oh yeah, I've done it so many times. Oh yeah, I can have one drink. I've 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 been sober this long and so uh-huh. you know, I can do it. I know I can do it. Ah, oh, man, it just ends in just terrible terrible um things you know just like in jail or something you know just like you said right. I, it's either in the, the white house or or um that's what we call the jail in in bethel is the white house <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, um or you know dead i mean it's 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 sad reality for you know for me but right, right. um but um yeah, you, you you explained it and, and shared exactly how I was asking about it. So thank you. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would give some somebody that's you know thinking about getting sober or is new to recovery? Um, for somebody who's thinking about getting sober, <clears throat> I guess I would say you don't have more time. Just you know, you you and I both. And probably whoever's thinking that we've thrown dirt on too many people's casket. If you're thinking about getting sober, God's dealing with you for a reason. But the other side of you is thinking that I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week or New Year's Eve's coming up. After that, I'll sober up. And the fact of the matter is uh, many of those people that we've buried had those same thoughts. They're, they were the intention to quit drinking. They just thought they had enough time to do it, not realizing that they had an expiration date that was closer than they thought. For somebody who's newly sober, uh, I would say uh, if you're in Bethel, uh, I would absolutely invite you to to come to church because there's men and women there who have come out of addiction and um, know have been where you are right now 
Uh, if you're, if you are, um, going to AA, don't, don't stop by all means for the first five years. I would recommend five meetings a week if you're, if you're going the AA route, but, uh, you can do it because here I am 40 years sober. So many people, thousands, maybe millions have done it one way or another. And uh, they've gone through the same struggles that you have. They've had losses, sustained losses, and continue to stay sober. And, and the other thing is, if you if you uh, fall off the wagon, get right back on immediately. Because, um, and admit it, you know, I mentioned I smoked after once after I got on treatment, and I didn't tell anybody for about five months. And they used to have this saying, Ralph, in uh, Cleveland in AA, you're as sick as your secrets. And so I was hanging on to the secret that I had, I had smoked uh, hash and, and never told anybody. And as soon as I let that go of that secret and I admitted it, I was free. But um, if, you, if you stumble, let people know. Be brutally honest on yourself because that's what it takes because we're human beings and we're prone to lie to ourselves and to deceive ourselves. I've often told people I don't need a devil in, in my life. I, I've got enough problems that are of my own making. And um, I, I'm, if anybody's out there thinking about getting sober, I'm just so happy to know that and, and and jump in. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, man. Yeah, you can do it and just keep going. And you're not alone, you know. Right. Right. But if it, I guess, to, and maybe to add to that, if you're not fellowshipping with sober people, it can be real easy to feel like you're alone. So find that group of, uh, find that group of sober people and, and jump in with them. And they're there. Even if you're in a village that has no AA and maybe just nobody active in church, there are people there that have come out of it. You might not know who they are, but if you ask, there's sober people everywhere. Yeah. Yep, yep. Man, Ted, is there anything else you would like to share before we end this? Um, I think I said everything I wanted to. What, um, I guess uh, I want to share, like, what an honor to have you consider me for your podcast. And um, I haven't spoken to the, like, great debt I have to to uh, talk about church and about the Lord, but to the uh, people of this region, because being an immigrant to this region, and yet I feel so accepted here and uh, like so, so wanted here. It, uh, it's been an absolute honor to spend so much time among the Yupik people. And it's just been, I feel so blessed to have ended up here in Southwest Alaska and to be able to experience it sober and to, to, um, you know, see my kids grow up. Like they've never smelled alcohol on my breath. And I know for many people listening, that's not the case, but if 
could be the case with your grandchildren or with the friends that you meet from this day forward. So I, I feel so grateful. Uh, I feel like every day that I have is a gift from God, and I, it's not something that I've earned, but He's given it, and so thankful for it. And thank you for thinking of me for the podcast, Ralph. Yeah, man. When I saw your post, I was just like, oh my God, I had no idea. So I really, really want to thank you, Ted, for for being on this show and, and taking the time out of your Sunday and having the courage to tell your story. I know your story is going to, you know, send hope to somebody out there, either struggling or not. You know, your story has a lot of hope in it. And just just to know that, you know, you are part of this community of, you know, sobriety and recovery. I had no idea. And it just blew me away yeah. that you had 40 years. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I should let it hang out there a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Tad. Yeah. Great to talk to you, Ralph. If you're a person who would like to share your story about mental health, sobriety, or recovery, or know a person who would like to share their own story, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and drop me a line or leave me a voicemail so we could maybe bring hope to someone still struggling. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and click on the donate button. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the store button where you can get Anonymous Eskimo merch. And while you're visiting my website, please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Listen next week when I have another strong, courageous person who is walking with us on this healing journey. Biura Mrayuchtuden Mrayuchtuden Sober as Sober 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 as